Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It's finally it's Friday. Oh, yeah. It's May 19th. And today is May Ray Day. So go out and get some of that vitamin D. It's also National Devil's Food Cake Day. So we know what Gretchen's going to make for dessert, probably, or maybe not. You know, it's also NASCAR Day. And of course, you can't have NASCAR Day without National Bike Day, I guess. For some reason, I guess it's all about the wheels. It's National Endangered Species Day, National Pizza Party Day. That's right, because for a lot of kids, it's the last day of school this year. It's also Malcolm X Day and National Defense transportation day because if we can't transport our defense we would have nothing apparently thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us it's also high noon on the east coast and please remember to like share and subscribe to us on all social media platforms use that fancy little qr code right there in the top hand corner of your screen to find out where we live on the internet and we're live every monday through friday on youtube and audio only on clubhouse and if you are joining us in clubhouse you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented but kicking it off, that's right, we have the dope dad himself. That's right, it's Rico Lamite, Quasimodo's little caretaker over there. That's right, the baby Yoda specialist. That's right, it's the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Oh, yeah, Jason. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So um, I have to give a trigger warning to everybody out there. My story today Includes a little bit of violence and um, could upset some people that are dog lovers, including myself and um, absolutely Gretchen Gailey. So a newly released video showing a police officer fatally shooting a grower's dog during a raid on licensed Trinity County cannabis farm in Northern California has sparked local industry outrage. The armed strike from uh, armed strike team stormed Nia Pao Yang's farm the morning of May 2nd, and the state license in the name of Yang's son, Robert Yang, who was a recipient of a state-funded grant to assist him with licensing. Yang was one of four state-licensed farms recently raided in the area after approved uh, late April magistrate increased enforcement power, unleashing a bevy of raids on local licensed and unlicensed properties. The problem is all four raided were licensed on a state level, but lacked Trinity County permits. Of the, of the thousands of cannabis grows located in Trinity County, the LA Times says that the majority remain unlicensed, selling to illegal markets. Those seeking a license in 2021 were raided to start over. 
when a, a requ were required to start over when a local faction uh, convinced a judge to overturn the county's cannabis permitting system because it did not subject farms to environmental review. California's Department of Cannabis Control responded with a letter reassuring growers that it would take no action against those who lost local permits because of the ruling. The agency had no response to a request to comment on the situation in Trinity County, but in the past it has defended practices of granting licenses to unpermitted growers in neighboring Mendocino County, arguing that the law requires only that license holders be in the process of obtaining local approval. As of Thursday, the state had 345 active cultivation licenses in Trinity County, but the, but the county had approved of only 134. What I wish for is that we would have a consistent policy throughout the state, Tim Saxon, when uh, said Sheriff Tim Saxon, when speaking on the dual licensing system. And he said that placing uh, the whole situation is placing many sheriffs in an uncomfortable situation, including himself. Per the article, Saxon's anti-narcotics squad led the May 1st and May 2nd cannabis farm raids, borrowing officers from Siskiyou uh, County and the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Many of the search warrants acknowledged that the farms had state licenses and their owners were somewhat in the lengthy local permitting process pipeline. But the warrants also state uh, farm owners were warned to not grow cannabis until they secured local permit. And there was evidence that had been growing, um, that there was evidence of these farms growing illegally for years. Jackie Riccio, the executive director of Cannabis for, uh, for Conservation and Yang's grant administrator, said the raid violated an understanding between the county and sheriff that participants will not be forced um, upon, that enforcement will not be uh, forced upon these actors while navigating the process with them. Uh, we're not working, we are working to help rectify this illegal raid and bring justice to the situation so that our other cultivators won't undergo this horrific experience. Video taken from a newspaper team shadowing the, uh, the sheriff's Cannabis squad shows officers in body camera, uh, body armor, and withdrawn guns, cutting the lock to Liang's gate as they summon the farmer forward. Yang held his hands in the air, asking, "What do you want?" As a large brown dog tethered near the gate circled between the owner and approaching police. When asked if there were others in the house behind him, Yang started to turn in that direction. "Stop! Come here!" The officer commanded. Moments later, Yang backed up again as an officer attempted to take an object from his hands. That was his leash. His leash dog fixated on a nearby California farm agent um, holding his gun on the animal. As the dog lunged forward, the Cal Fire agent fired at him. God, you shot my dog. Yang screamed amid the injured animal's loud howls. The dog named Y2K was pronounced dead at the vet, at the vet clinic soon after. On Tuesday, upset residents berated public officials for nearly an hour at a county board of supervisors meeting. They questioned the presence of police in body armor with drawn firearms on farms trying to operate legally. My kid's living on the coast in a town right now so we can be safe from these armed madmen running around, said Willow Creek grower Walter Wood. We shouldn't have to feel that way, especially given the amount of hoops that we've gone through. It's like thousands and thousands of hoops that we've jumped through to no avail. Residents were also upset with the disparity between official version of the raids and what they saw on video circulating on social media. 
shortly after. The sheriff's Facebook announcement of the raid described Yang as non-compliant and said he attempted to keep investigators away by standing near one of his many aggressive dogs. They claimed it was an attempt to attack an investigator and the dog was shot in self-defense. County supervisors took no action uh, on the public comment, but Saxon defended the decision to raid uh, not fully compliant farms and said Cal Fire is conducting its own investigation into the shooting, and he believes that the dog appeared trained to attack. He then complained about Yang's defense lawyer release, uh, lawyer's release of the video, which says uh, he says is part of the crime scene evidence and now widely circulating online. Yang's lawyer, Thomas uh, Belanco, is also a licensed cultivator and distributor. Um, he said that the sheriff's office was wrong to take aggressive action against, this, against the farmers, which he says are not violating state law, but breaking county zoning code. Court filed receipts show police seized 12 guns from Yang's property and destroyed 2,365 pounds of processed cannabis and charged the operator with unlawful possession of commercial cannabis, a misdemeanor punishable by a $500 fine. Trinity County, uh, Trinity County, Trinity County District Attorney David Brady also filed six other charges against Yang. Lack of dog licenses, rabies vaccinations, unreasonable tethering of an animal, allowing a dog to attack or injure someone, and resisting arrest. All misdemeanors. And then there was one felony. One count of resisting arrest by use of force and violence. His dog. At a hearing Wednesday, Yang pleaded not guilty to all counts. Um, yeah, man, this is a tough one. I'm glad we have uh, Omar <laughs> on stage with us. We also have a guest uh, that's going to be um, commenting on this story. I'm Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street. Let's talk about it. Oh, boy, you got a lot to unpack with this one, Rico. I mean, I'm uh, um, Omar. Like it's, Omar. It's sure. I'll start off by saying, you know, that... Uh, Cops pointing guns at unarmed suspects is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. And having a search warrant is not the same as having an arrest warrant. So cops can't show up and arrest people merely because they have a search warrant. So I think both of these principles will be a factor. You know, the pointing guns at unarmed suspects and the cops are going to claim that somehow having dogs around you is being armed. And that's a ludicrous position to most American dog owners, you know, like having your family member, your dog around does not mean you're armed. Um, and then I think the issue is gonna be, that makes it tough for the defense is that if they don't have their local permit, uh, California does have a dual licensing system and California state law does say you gotta have both a local permit and a state uh, license in order to be legal under state law. So that's gonna present some issues for the defense if they don't have um, local permits, or if they're underway or, you know, trying to get them, that, that's not a defense. Um, and there's no longer a collective or cooperative defense. That was expired by the legislature in 2019. And so th that's going to be challenging from the defense perspective. But no matter what, you should never shoot a dog, especially if the dog is not like, you know, like bit any police officer or about to kill a police officer. Just, you know, uh, it seems to me that the cop was bad vibing the dog, pointing the gun at it. The yeah. dog felt the bad vibes and got defensive as it would, as any normal animal would under the circumstances. And then the cop killed it. It's absolutely murder, indefensible. I think that's, you know, uh, federal civil rights, 1983 violation. 
and the cops are going to end up getting sued and the county's going to end up settling. And guess who pays? It's not the police. It's not coming out of their retirement fund. It's coming from the taxpayer money in a county that can ill afford it. Trinity County taxpayers uh, you know, are pretty broke these days. So I think it's outrageous. I think that these police settlements ought to come from the police retirement fund. And you'll see how quickly police clean up their own house when it's their own money at stake. Interesting, man. Hey, Omar, Omar, Justin uh, brought up an interesting point in the chat. He said all those plants, since they would could be technically viewed as hemp legally, since they were in an early vegetation state. Yeah, nice try, Justin. Um, but you know, <laughs> if, if they got their state license for cannabis, the hemp defense is gonna not be a very strong one. But couldn't it be a defense if they're saying that the state licenses aren't aren't valid because they haven't been uh, finalized or whatever? Well, you know, that's a creative defense. I, I've, I've used that before. Yeah. You know, they, they come in and they show that the plant material contains THC, but they're not showing the quantity of THC. That's reasonable doubt that it's hemp. Yep. Oh, man, there might be a good possible legal defense. But we also have Elliot up from the Clubhouse audience up to comment on this. Elliot, the CEO of Catalyst. And uh, and I believe, Elliot, this was uh, this this video was the, the start of a series of videos that you have put out on your own Instagram page, Elliot. Well, look, I, I think Rico said it really good to start it off. Trigger warning. I mean, this shit is just a trigger. We're really here seven years later. The war on drugs is alive and well. I, I think the detail of whether or not it's a legal farm or he's waiting for his permits. It's an important detail because it shows how ridiculous the system is. But let's just put aside, let's just say he was growing uh, whatever that means illegally. It's still just beyond the pale. And then, you know, the point that I made is you got a former cop, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. You got a former cop in Sacramento, basically simultaneous to a dog being shot up in Trinity County that's backdooring more weed than any cultivator probably in American history based on basic math, right? That's how broken the system is. And that guy is everybody's friend up in Sacramento. He's tickling balls. Meanwhile, the dog does exactly what it's supposed to do when 12 thugs show up. The war on drugs is alive and well. And everybody I know on the pack, on the on the black market's flipping black glass house packs. This shit is ridiculous. That's just my commentary. Oh, thank you for that, Elliot. The game's all fucked up, man. <laughs> all I mean, I, I I just feel so bad in regards with 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 them killing this dog. I feel like it was- no, it's, it's messed up, and, it, and this is a, a, another example of the police putting out one story, and then the video shows something completely different, mm-hmm. completely different. And and, the, and this the sheriff had the nerve to say that the dog appeared trained to attack <laughs> appeared trained yeah because they had four legs and, a, and an art oh these motherfuckers will say anything they'll withhold the body camera seemed appeared i've been through all this stuff that isn't actually like factual evidence that's opinion but again like it it's a systematic the whole system in california is totally broken right you got to play the hand you're dealt it is what it is but when they're shooting dogs up in trinity counties when the, the promise of Prop 64 was to end the war on drugs. This is proof yep. that the war on drugs hasn't ended. And then when the mega cultivators are the black market, allegedly, how fucking ridiculous is that? Then go one more step. A former cop who arrested people for one one millionth of the amount of cannabis 
that it, that it, that is being probably black marketed. You know, obviously they have the burner distribution system to plausibly deny it. Uh, is just getting away and hiding in plain sight. This is just beyond the fucking pale. And triggered is the exact word. Omar, uh, Omar, I have, I have a quick question. Um, so the sheriff is complaining about um, uh, Yang's lawyer releasing this video online, and he's saying that it um, it is making their job harder to t- uh, harder to do because it was um, it was evidence that was posted online uh, by the lawyer. Um, <laughs> What's, what's going on here and um could yang's lawyer his legal team get in trouble for releasing the video um without the the cop's consent um generally not and especially if it's video that was filmed on uh, yang's property you know like uh, yang is the one who has the expectation of privacy cops are public servants so they don't have expectation of privacy while they're performing their public duties right. even though there's a Peace Officers Rights Act, and they do have all sorts of crazy privacy protections that a few other public employees in California have. And so uh, generally, it's, you know, I think what the district attorney could do is go ask the court for a gag order uh, saying that the defense attorney is trying to prejudice the jury pool. Um, but they haven't done that because that's a prior restraint. It's really difficult to get a gag order when the defense is objecting because they're not constitutional unless the government has exhausted all other options. Uh, so back to like, you know, threatening defense counsel because, you know, they're disclosing evidence. I think you are allowed to do it. You're not allowed to uh, prejudice or taint the jury pool. Um, and so that would be the analysis that the court would undertake if it were challenged in court. Right now, it's just the sheriff complaining in public. Right. And, and this is and all they're doing. All they're doing is creating more of a rift between locals and law enforcement uh, because they're trying to paint a narrative. And who do people believe? The wide majority of the public is going to believe the cops. Right. Uh, they put out their statement in saying that like, this dude had rabid animals and the animals mm-hmm. attacked their police officers. They put something out on their Instagram and their Facebook is totally different than what the video says. If they did not put out the video, if the lawyer did not put out that video, it would have been like five, six months from now. Everything would have died down yep. and nobody would have came to their uh, to their defense on this. Absolutely. Right? And the jury, the, the people in the jury pool would have been under the misimpression that nothing you know, wrong happened, that there, it was all okay. But, you know, now that there's this public outrage, um, I think it's going to set the stage for a federal civil rights lawsuit. And I think there's going to be a payout. And it's unfortunate that the people responsible, the law enforcement officers, they don't have to pay for it. Instead, it's the taxpayers who do. And that's a broader uh, problem of qualified immunity, where the cops get a pass on uh, novel violations, novel constitutional violations, because if you can't show that uh, it's a clearly established violation of law, then they have qualified immunity. So the cops are always thinking of new ways to violate the Constitution. So you're, you're, you're saying too, Omar, is that is that how, how this should happen is that their pension fund should be the, the one that pays out the lawsuit. And if that were the case, then the police would clean their own house immediately they would not stand for dirty cops mm-hmm. messing with their retirement. Great. I, like, I like that. I, I think that's a really good solution right there in, in, in a longer conversation in regards to criminal justice reform. I really like that idea, Omar. Yeah. Uh, we got to go to a commercial, though. Yeah. We're, we're way out of time on this. Thank you all. Thank you for that.
Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. That's right. It's Tuesday over here at Green Street, and we got Smokey Vanilla with us in the building. So that's right. It is time to stretch and smoke. We just got done smoking. Now we're going to stretch it out, and then we're going to smoke again. Let's go. I'm Smokey Vanilla with my background in kinesiology and bodywork massage and assisted stretching. You got to come check it out, baby. Check me out on IG at SmokeyVanilla1, Stretch and Smoke. Twitter, Smokey Vanilla. Social Club, Stretch and Smoke. We're also on Sports Recovery by Dan and Jam. If you want to feel as good as I look, then make sure that you get a Stretch and Smoke in with Smokey Vanilla. Yeet! Oh, yeah. Up next, y'all know who it is. It's the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer and also the most best looking, best feeling man after a smoky vanilla stretch out session. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jason Beck. You know what it is. Oh, yeah. Hope everybody's ready because Minnesota. Could is on the verge of becoming the next state to pass adult use cannabis. That's right. Minnesota stood on the edge of joining the nearly two dozen states with legal marijuana after the House voted 73 to 57 on Thursday night to pass the final version of an adult use cannabis bill. A Senate vote is expected to follow shortly. It's a monumental shift in drug policy, even though people on both ends of the debate acknowledge that use is prevalent despite its status as illegal now. Representative Patricia Mueller, Republican from Austin, who opposed the bill when a version initially passed in the House last month, she uh, said she had come around to backing it despite having continued reservations. In a quote, she says, the people who care about it, they really care about it. And the people who are against it are really against it, said Mueller. But the people who are like me, that's why this bill makes it difficult because there's so many places in it that are very good. I'm very open to the idea, and I have just a couple of concerns, she says. Opponents spoke out, spoke to the concerns about marijuana being a gateway drug, the lack of adequate roadside impairment tests, and unknowns about its effects on public health. Representative Zach Stevens, Democrat uh, DFL Coons Rapids, said the bill's lead sponsor said the landscape will change soon. On a quote, on August 1st, possessing two pounds of cannabis in your home or two ounces of cannabis outside your home will no longer be a crime in Minnesota, said Stevenson. It will also it also will allow Minnesotians to grow cannabis at home up to eight plants total, four of which can be mature. I encourage them to define mature because everyone else that grows plants says a mature plant is not ready until harvest. So let's see. Minnesota would become the 23rd state to legalize marijuana for adult use purposes, and the state has had a medical marijuana program for nearly a decade that started with oils, pills, and other non-smokable forms. Leaf was uh, leaf form was authorized for that program back in 2021, but fewer than half of the other states allow people to grow their own as this bill would. Dispensaries offering cannabis products will be further away, perhaps a year to 18 months from now, and the bill up for vote this week differs 
from those that have passed last month in the in the House and Senate floors. It would allow adults 21 years and older to purchase, possess, and use marijuana, although there would be penalties for providing it for, to minors. Impose a 10% tax rate, which is lower than a lot of places where it is sold legally. The proceeds would be used toward fostering the legal market through startup grants and other regulatory steps, and 8% would flow to state coffers and the rest would be earmarked for local governments. Um, it would also enable cities and counties to cap the number of cannabis retailers based on population size with at least one for every 12,500 residents in a jurisdiction. And there would be a, fl a floor and communities or hold on. There, there would be a floor and communities could issue more licenses. Uh, expunge criminal records and past marijuana offenses that automatic the automatic process for the lowest level crimes would start in august but reach into 2024 more complicated more complicated cases would go before a new board for review and representative nolan west republican from blaine said he's glad to see uh, dedicated money going to municipal oversight, given that they deal with complaints over odors and other nuisances that might arise. He supported the bill, but said the next steps will be critical to determining the success of the launch. In a quote, he says, what we've seen in other states it is this just goes bam. Look at New York. A lot of businesses. He didn't say that. I said that a lot of businesses get started that way. Wes said, we need to make sure that this market is functioning because if the market is not functioning, that's what will open up the door for the black market to still exist. And the number one public policy of legalization is to eliminate the black market because if it doesn't eliminate the black market, we really did nothing. Take that, Governor Whitmer. West was uh, among a repair of Republicans who was on a, a House Senate conference committee that crafted the final version and representative Paul Nuniver, uh, you know, these guys are going to go on and on. They're going to end up having a deal. We're short on time. We're, what do you guys think? This is Jason Beck reporting for high at nine news. What do y'all think? Well, I'll jump in here as the, uh, in here. Yeah, go for it. Rochelle. As the, uh, as the native Minnesotan in the room, uh, I have to say I'm pretty stoked. Um, I know a lot of folks back home aren't so keen on this bill for a number of reasons, but hey, like we have to start somewhere. Um, the the reconciliation uh, wasn't so different from the old bill. Um, essentially, what they agreed on was the two pounds at home. Uh, initially, one version had five pounds, another had one and a half pounds. Two was the uh, was the compromise, and then the taxes as well. Initially, it was either eight percent or ten percent. They settled on ten, which again is fairly low comparatively to other markets in the nation uh but was what was interesting about the debate with this bill was the uh, was the hemp side of it for those of you who don't know they essentially regulated delta 9 hemp derived thc uh last year in edibles and beverages and the market exploded uh you can find delta 9 hemp products at hardware stores at gas stations at smoke shops at liquor stores you can go to bars and order a thc beverage right alongside an alcohol beverage it's been wild, um, totally unusual. And the hemp community was really concerned about this bill um, since they would be lumped into the cannabis side. And as of right now, you know, they're protected from the 280E, from other regulations, which they appreciated. And so it's my understanding that this new bill keeps protections for the hemp community so that they continue 
offering uh, their products, which we are now going to refer to as low dose uh, edibles in comparison to the regular cannabis derived edibles, which will be available at dispensaries. I just, um, uh, we covered a story uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago, saying that the, um, the, the, the whole low THC drink craze actually revitalized the uh, Minnesota's uh, um, craft beer industry. What would, uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. I was speaking to a, a lawyer, Jason Tarasek, um, who spoke at a Minnesota beverage conference uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, all the craft brewers in the state were there, which there are many, uh, right? We're a heavy drinking state. And he asked the crowd, how many of you are now creating uh, and manufacturing THC seltzers? Every single hand in that room went up. You heard that, and, Jason and Gretchen. You heard that, Jason and Gretchen. I heard yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I've you know run what? the tape. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy about Minnesota. I did not realize that they had so much snake oil inside of their bars, though. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come to that on on another day because uh, we 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 are short on time today. We went way over time on on the the thank dog. Thank you so much, Rachel. But yeah, but thank you so much for that w- wonderful insight, Rochelle. We definitely appreciate that. But coming up next is the feisty redhead herself, who hasn't said anything all morning yet. So we really can't wait to see what she has to say. She loves to dress up her dogs in crazy outfits. And she's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own little Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. The bangs are banging today, too. You're looking good, Gretchen. You're looking good, Gretchen. All right, simmer down. Easier. Yep. Your, your volume is anyway. low. What? There you go. Now you sound better. Stop complaining. Jason back. Complain, complain. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment. Groups push senators to add marijuana businesses, stock exchange, Access to banking bill. A coalition of marijuana advocacy groups is asking that a bipartisan marijuana banking bill be expanded to include provisions ensuring that cannabis businesses have access to all forms of financial services, including the ability to be listed on senior U.S. stock exchanges. In a letter to Senate Banking Committee leadership on Thursday, the coalition Safe Banking for Equity said that it appreciates the panel is treating this issue with the urgency it demands by holding a hearing focused on cannabis industry financial barriers last week. But the groups, which include California Minority Alliance, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, Women Grow, and National Hispanic Cannabis Council, also also said that it would be important that the standalone Safe Banking Act be amended in a fairly significant way that may be a bridge too far for certain advocates focused on comprehensive legalization. As it stands, the Safe Banking Act would protect banks that work with state-licensed marijuana businesses and certain depository institutions from being penalized by federal regulators. What the coalition is asking for is a broader safety net that would free up industry access to all regulated financial institutions and services, including depository services, lenders, debt and equity financing, capital markets and investment services, insurance, broker-dealers, fiduciaries, and credit card and payment processing. Providing the state legal cannabis industry equal access to financial institutions and resources is key for economic growth. Without broader access to financial institutions, many entrepreneurs are left without anywhere to turn to secure the funding needed to launch their company or to expand existing operations. The groups wrote that limiting cannabis industry financial services access forces operators to fight for survival against the illicit market, including Chinese-backed investors with both hands tied behind their backs. If small and minority-owned cannabis companies do not have the capital needed to compete or stay afloat, the state-regulated cannabis market will be ceded to criminal enterprises that do not adhere to stringent testing 
or labeling standards that do not institute child-resistant packaging or care about age limitations and that do not pay taxes or invest back in their communities. Ultimately, an unchecked, illicit market would be catastrophic to legal regulated businesses and compromise public health and safety. They further asserted that access to U.S. senior exchanges as opposed to junior exchanges would significantly increase the valuations of small marijuana businesses, resulting in a dramatic decrease in the amount of equity an entrepreneur would have to seed in the to seed to get the same investment. Maintaining equity is critical for those operators who hold social equity licenses that require them to maintain majority ownership of their company without access to meaningful capital to convert those social equity licenses or for minority operators to succeed. The state's efforts to support a more equitable industry are merely checking a box and allowing for small businesses to be shut out while the illicit market profits in the void. Uh, I agree with this group. I think that these operations should absolutely be opened up for minority owners. I think this is how you get equity in uh, this game instead of putting carve outs specifically uh, just for uh, one race over another. Uh, now, I know other advocates and proponents of the safe banking bill think this is a little too much uh, because they think if you keep adding amendments to the bill that it's not going to pass. I don't think that these are too far outside of the realm, and I think that Republicans can get behind it. This is Gretchen for Hyde 9 News. So you don't think this is going to tank the bill, huh, Gretchen? I think, no. Uh, again, as long as you're not making specific carve-outs, to take care of one class or one race over another, I think that is something that people can understand. To say that all these financial institutions should be involved doesn't carve out one specific group or another, which generally is what has been uh, the sticking point. I mean, there is only one class of, of, of individuals that are currently on. I mean, economically. Just saying. What? There's only one class of businesses that are on is that are on the commodities market right now, Gretchen. Well, let's open it up for everyone. Just saying, just saying. So you're going to be able to go onto the New York Stock Exchange if this if this per, if this piece gets in. That's the theory. I I think it's a great great concept, but I don't. I I think I think the uh, the um, evangelists you know out there are going to totally rip this to shreds and they're going to bake this as this is just a white man's piece of legislation for them to get richer hold on right but the groups that are proposing this are not white man mso organizations jason back what what, would you want you address what he said (laughs) where's that coming from jason a white man (laughs) i'm gonna say because they're all the msos this is going to benefit the msos more than it's going to be because they're going to be able to get off the canadian exchange and come over to the u.s exchange yes it will benefit msos but it will also benefit a number of other businesses that have no hope of getting on the exchange if it remains the way it is I mean, I'm not I'm, I'm not mad at that I'm just saying I, I just I'm just going to be surprised if the if all of the uh, advocates out there are in support of it. I'm just going to be surprised is all. I mean, what, what's that a whole thing? You know, all tides lift boats or whatever that junk is. Yeah, uh, you don't think that this would help businesses who want to get ahead. Help with better valuation. I, do, I said I do think that I do think that I just believe that all of the uh, evangelicals out there are going to be totally against this. All the I, Global warming lifts all the boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see mission creep. It started out as safe banking. Now it's safe finances. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's safe financial industry, and uh, it, it just keeps expanding. And I think 
what Don Murphy said last week is really important to remember, which is if everybody is not pushing at the same exact moment with the same exact uh, coordination, it's not going to go forward. And so trying to make safe banking into safe financial you know, speculation is not really going to get, get it over the finish line, especially when it's such a hard lift and it's barely getting there. Mm-hmm. See, this is why I disagree with you there, Omar. Uh, I don't have a problem with financial provisions being added into safe banking. I have an issue when people are trying to tack on expungement, when they're trying to sure. tack on social equity. Those are the things that Don's referring to as are not part of a banking bill. I think if you keep things in the financial realm, it's not that far out of the scope. I think it should have been framed as, as safe you know, finances from the get-go, and then we wouldn't have to have this debate. Uh, but whatever it takes to advance, you know, like I'm a believer in, in incremental progress over no progress. I'm glad to hear that out of you, Omar. I am really glad to hear that. I'm down for the revolution. Yeah. Exactly. Perfection or nothing. Yeah, we're going to all down. Thank you. It all down. Like I said, I, I hope this goes through, but I just have a feeling that I think I think I think SVBO and Signature Bank. Proved well, right now, remember, this is just a proposal. This ain't going anywhere. We'll see. Do you, yeah, do, what, what is the chance you think it'll go forward, uh, Gretchen? Do you think it'll have this? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We're going to go to a commercial. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local, and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. Oh, yeah. Whatever you're doing, make sure you go on, hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't subscribed already. And make sure you head over to our website, www.hyatt9news.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter. Once you do, you will get a news uh, email in your inbox. You will have to hit confirm. And oftentimes it may go into your spam or junk mail, and you have to hit it from there if you want to be confirmed. Also, we have amazing merchandise up on our website. So go ahead and check it out and support the show. And if you you want us to really acknowledge your comments in the chat, then you know the best way to do that is make it a super chat. Oh, yeah. Run the commercial, Adam. Control Tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And... With the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. This multi-talented, multi-faceted attorney is the legendary founder of a bi-coastal boutique cannabis law firm and has a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which means he still reserves the right to break your wrist and walk away. Coming to the stage next, Omar Figueroa. Thank you, Rico. Happy Friday, everyone. My story is from SF Gate by Lester Black. The headline is California pot industry facing extinction event. 
California's cannabis industry could be on the verge of an extinction event with pot shops going out of business as they miss tax payments and sink under millions of dollars of debt. Debt problems have plagued the industry for years. A 2022 report estimated that the industry was collectively sitting on over $600 million in debt, but a change in tax law that took effect this year has stakeholders worried the mounting debt bubble will finally become fatal. State law recently shifted the burden for paying cannabis excise taxes from distributors to retailers, with the first tax payments due May 1st. Retailers have historically had the most trouble paying their bills, and it appears that many shops lack the cash to pay their state excise taxes, according to new state tax data obtained by SFGate. Over 13% of cannabis retailers, or 265 pot shops, failed to make any tax payment by the May 1st deadline, according to the California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. Those businesses are now facing a 50% penalty on the taxes they owe, which could be a death blow to many shops. And the number of shops affected could climb higher. The state agency said it's still processing 581 tax returns, which could include retailers that fail to pay. Michelle Mabogat, a cannabis attorney at the Greenberg Glusker firm in Los Angeles, told SFGate she expects debt problems to shut down many shops in the state. There's a debt bubble that's been building over the last few years that's getting close to bursting, Mabogat said. I do anticipate a lot of retailers going out of business this year, just like we saw a lot of cultivators go out of business last year. Ali Jamalian, the owner of Sunset Connect, a cannabis manufacturer in San Francisco, said he's seen pot shops with over $500,000 in unpaid bills, and he expects the new tax structure to cause an extinction event for pot shops in the state. I've been in the weed game, so I've seen a lot of cycles, but this will have a real impact. The extinction event is when the government wants its taxes and no one can pay it, Jamalian said. The entire cannabis supply chain has faced a chronic debt problem. Farmers report never getting paid for thousands of dollars in product. Distributors say retailers don't pay them and have started blacklisting some shops. And even the federal government is getting stiffed. An analysis done last fall by Green Market Report found that 10 of the largest pot companies in the country owed over $500 million combined in unpaid taxes. These debt problems have attracted scrutiny from lawmakers. Assemblymember Phil Ting, a Democrat from San Francisco, proposed a bill, AB 766, this year that would require pot businesses to pay their cannabis suppliers for any transactions worth $5,000 or more within 15 days or face a penalty. Ting blamed the problem on federal prohibition, which blocks pot entrepreneurs from accessing the loans that are typically used to maintain cash flow at other businesses. For years, restrictions at the federal level have left our state's legal cannabis operators with limited options for financing and capital. This has led to a severe debt bubble across the supply chain from cultivators all the way through retailers, Ting said in the news release. The proposed law is supported by associations representing distributors and manufacturers, but has been opposed by some cannabis retailers in the state. It's on the agenda for the House Appropriations Committee's May 18th meeting. Without traditional bank loans, pot companies have turned to issuing loans to each other by selling products on credit. 
Pop farms often give products to distributors and retailers with no money down, but with the expectation that they will be paid later, usually within 30 or 60 days. But the retailers frequently take months to pay if they pay at all. Some California retailers are holding more than a million dollars in debt to other pop businesses, according to Brett Gelfand, the managing partner of Cannabis Collects, a cannabis-focused debt collection agency. We're seeing this together Sometimes we have 20 different clients submitting their claims against the same debtor, so the debtor is drowning in debt, Gelfan said. Tink's bill would specifically target these repeat offenders by creating a system that tracks and penalizes companies that don't pay their cannabis suppliers. These debt-ridden retailers are now at risk of going out of business thanks to the state's recent tax payment change. The state's decision to shift tax payments from distributors to retailers both removed the form of financing. Retailers were using excise tax collections as a way to finance their businesses and created a big penalty for cash-strapped retailers. Malwagat said retailers have been hoping and praying that they could come up with more cash before they had to pay the excise taxes. But with the May 1st deadline passed, hundreds of pot shops were unable to come up with the money and could be headed toward failure. As Mabogat said, that kind of financing model, if you can even call it that, is a really easy way to go upside down fast. My take is that, remember, today is National Endangered Species Day. Uh, the bill that would require payment of cannabis invoices is AB 766 and would prohibit the license holder from purchasing goods and services from another licensee on credit until the license holder pays the outstanding invoice in full. The bill has been amended, so its provisions would not apply to an invoice for a sale or transfer made before January 1st, 2024, which means that relief will be forward-looking starting next year and not affect any current invoices. Yesterday, AB 766 was heard in the Assembly Appropriations Committee. I listened to the video of the hearing and the bill was made into a two-year bill. I learned that a bill introduced in the first year of a two-year session can be made into a two-year bill at any time in the legislative process. This would give time for additional work or amendments to be made in order to allow for the successful passage of AB 766. So AB 766 does not have much of an impact the extinction event facing the hundreds of retailers who lack the funds to pay their state taxes by the May 1st deadline is that they're going to have 50% penalty because they didn't pay. If those retailers go extinct, what's going to happen to the rest of the supply chain who have been waiting patiently to get paid? The headline is California pot industry facing extinction event. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, publisher, and Ganjie instructor reporting from Sonoma Cal County, California, the traditional territory of the Pomo, Miwok, and Wapo nations for high at nine, high noon Eastern. Jason, what do you think about this? I mean, I think it's 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 sad, but it's true. And the the regulators love to overtax everything and overregulate everything. And it just goes to the story that we covered the other day, where uh, Oregon is going to pull the licenses for people that are behind on their taxes. And instead of helping people, giving them a financial way to get out of the hole that they're in, all that they're going to do is just stifle themselves and further further fuel the illicit market. And we call we call we call this out uh, from the original uh, was it um, was the Green State story, Green Street, uh, not, not Green Street. 
the yeah. original story that came out green with market uh, report. Yeah, green market report thank you thank you gretchen uh with um with jerry kylo and um, grant palmer uh quoted in it uh, calling for a 600 million dollar debt bubble and um, they said second half of this year uh, expect to see a bloodbath well, i think it's watching that mark this is because we know of the insanely high tax tax debt that a lot of the MSOs already have. And if they're only closing down small businesses uh, because of tax debt and not closing down MSOs because of tax debt, we're going to have a serious problem. That's a well, problem. I think part of the problem with a lot of folks, when especially when it comes to taxes and paying their bills, uh, is they go underground. They They shut down. They don't talk to people. If you talk to these groups if you talk to the irs if you try and come up with plans of how you want to address this and show that you do want to pay your taxes you're trying to figure it out as long as you're in communication i think you're in a lot better stance of hope of not getting your uh, license taken away or shut down and i see omar nodding with me i'm with you omar knows i'm right people need to talk You are right. right. I, I think if you work out a payment plan and you're doing your very best, you know, the regulators will try to work with people. They don't want to see um, a lot of these operators go back to the unregulated market. It's just going to exacerbate the problems they're dealing with. You know, not, so, not, so not, Justin, what you're saying is, is that they didn't uh, none of those that that 800 million that went into the IRS was funding guns. And tanks for the IRS agents. Well, not, not, not to mention, not to mention, the reality is that is that a lot of these uh, tax collecting people understand too, is that if they have this debt, the only way that they're going to collect it is if you stay open. If you actually do close, they know that you're never going to pay it. Um, but with that, we got to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. Let's go. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Oh, yeah. Coming up next, that's right. It is the doctor who has been writing recommendations longer than you probably have been alive. That's right. He started out at the beginning working with Medican, a creator of Medican, actually, and... Probably wrote your parents' recommendations, too, even, even though they won't tell you that you had one. Oh, yeah, it's Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Thanks, Jason. That's right. Uh, uh, HIPAA laws apply. Uh, happy Friday, everyone. My headline today is out of the Santa Fe, New Mexican. Insomnia to be a qualifying condition for medical cannabis in New Mexico. Uh, Starting June 1st, insomnia will be on the list of qualifying conditions for enrollment in the state's medical cannabis program. The addition was made at the program's medical advisory board meeting, according to a statement by the New Mexico Department of Public Health. A petition was submitted for consideration at the board's last meeting in March, and on Tuesday, the board members voted unanimously to support the addition. So insomnia, for those of you who don't know, is a common sleep disorder where people have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or getting good quality sleep. Insomnia is often associated with stress or anxiety. It also uh, may be due to an uncomfortable bed, uh, jet lag, uh, shift work, or drinking alcohol or caffeine before going to bed. About one in three adults worldwide have insomnia, 
and about 10% meet the criteria for insomnia disorders. Um, insomnia is now the 30th qualifying condition in New Mexico's medical cannabis program. Anxiety was the previous condition added in December. A recent study published in the Journal of Sleep Research found that cannabis oil ingested at dosages up to 10 milligrams of THC combined with 15 milligrams of CBD improved the quality of sleep in 80% of active subjects. And the improved sleep also led to higher functioning during the day. So cannabis works uh, for insomnia. Department of Health Secretary Patrick Allen wrote in his decision approving the petition, even though patients may access cannabis without a medical cannabis card through the adult use program, by including insomnia in the list of qualifying conditions, patients would have increased opportunity to discuss with their medical provider how cannabis can be used to impact their insomnia and help them sleep better. Um, endocannabinoids, molecules like THC and CBD that we all produce internally follow a circadian rhythm. So endocannabinoids are lowest in bug concentration um, around 3 a.m. and peak at high noon where we are most typically awake. So when patients smoke or ingest cannabis, it influences their circadian rhythm. Um, some patients report that high THC cannabis is actually stimulating, energizing, or uplifting. Um, some report that sleepiness comes after the initial effects when they are coming down. Um, and it's interesting to note that this recent sleep study involved ingesting a combination of THC and CBD. In my practice, those who use high THC flour um, for sleep also had successful outcomes after smoking or vaping about three quarters of a gram of flour. So it's unlikely that the New Mexico doctors know much about cannabis and how it impacts sleep. Uh, the endocannabinoid system is not taught in medical schools and New Mexico does not require physicians to receive additional training on cannabis products. But this addition does help legitimize cannabis as medicine. In summary, New, Mexico's, uh, New Mexicans have a new qualifying condition for medical cannabis. If they are, in, uh, if they are intent to listening to every possible to listing every possible condition that improves improves with cannabis use, they have a long way to go. I like that they're taking this path. It offers legitimacy for medical cannabis and makes an argument for cannabis to be covered by health insurance. What do you think? Is this a good news move by New Mexico's Medical Advisory Board? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand reporting for Hyatt 9 News. 100% Dr. Talleyrand. This is a fantastic move uh, by their board, and I hope to see more just like it because the reality is that all use is medical use, and, and people should be able to get a recommendation for cannabis for anything that they feel that cannabis makes it better for them. Yes. And does smoking flower make you go to sleep or keep you up? Depends on what I want to do, Dr. T. But I'll tell you what, I generally don't like have to smoke a joint just to go to sleep. I wow. usually work so hard th through the day because I'm such a productive individual <laughs> that usually by the end of the day, I'm <laughs> my, uh, my, mind, my mind takes me, uh, my mind tells me where I want to go and the weed takes me there. It's the vehicle. So it helps you go to sleep, Rico? If I want it to. 
Uh, if you wanted to. If he wants it to. It's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter, Dr. T. You know that. Yeah, man. Yeah, got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's more than mind. I, I do. I do. I do. It I do helps find, with our studies. I do find it very interesting that they add, added insomnia, seeing as how uh, this is the set for, uh, uh, what was that show? Breaking Bad. Yes, it is. But we are running out of time. And up next, we are honored to have a guest correspondent joining us today. She is a cannabis and psychedelics journalist and editor of greenstate.com, but also the self-proclaimed biggest Lego collector in the weed game. So keep your shoes on when visiting her house or prepare for the worst. Y'all know who it is. Rochelle Gordon. Thank you so much for that uh, very warm welcome. I would say that I have a pretty impressive Lego collection, and I challenge any one of you in the weed game to uh, to come at me with your collection as well. I'm here to talk about the Emerald Cup. Um, big event, the Academy Awards of Weed. They just went down last weekend in Richmond, uh, the northern part of the Bay Area. It was a fantastic week uh, of competition and celebration culminating in the awards. Um, big night, red carpet affair. The guild boat was on deck, taking people on a cruise throughout the bay. Beautiful, beautiful night. Celebration of innovation, community, and of course, great weed. Uh, from sun-grown flower to edibles, concentrates, pre-rolls, retailers, social justice warriors, big terpene energy. Everything was celebrated at the Emerald Cup Awards. Um, this was the 19th year of celebration, arguably one of the biggest years so far. Next year, we have the 20th anniversary. I can't wait to see what they have on deck. Uh, according to Tim Blake, the founder of the Emerald Cup, he said, we started off just wanting to get away with a contest and have nobody go to jail. I was an old outlaw. I never had any clue that we would evolve to this. Um, big respect to Tim Blake, Taylor Blake, the whole Emerald Cup family to see what they've achieved uh, truly, truly a force to be reckoned with in this space. Um, the entire cup is a big undertaking, 12 to 20 judges on each category, of which there are many. Our own Jason Beck, a flower judge, who I interviewed for this piece. Um, placing, and especially taking top honors at the Emerald Cup, is huge for brands. Getting that seal of approval uh, for consumers really sets you apart on the dispensary shelves. Um, the entire night was full of inspiration. We started off with the Best Photo Awards. Uh, the amateur was given to Ryan Gageby, a.k.a. Freegrow8, uh, who's a Michigan-based cultivator and photographer. And he told me, I was sitting next to him in the audience, that this was the biggest moment of his life so far, uh, convinced that a higher power was looking over him, uh, a lifetime of trial and tribulations, setting him up for this moment. Um, really cool to see him win. Also really inspired by... Um, by Wendy Baker of Space Gem, seeing her take home two trophies uh, for best alternative cannabinoid for her CBN gummies uh, and best gummy overall for the sour space drops from Space Gem. You know, she's been working so, so hard for 10 years. Seeing her win uh, was massive. Um, Mila, Jansen, Mila Jansen, the hash queen herself, flew in from Amsterdam to accept the Willie Nelson Lifetime Achievement Award. Seeing her dance across the stage uh, was just epic. Love the energy. Um, the flower competition, arguably the most contentious, um, we saw indoor uh, Fig Farms Blueface uh, take first place. We saw uh, Double Chem OG from Rebel Grown take Best Sun Grown, but the Blueface took Best in Show, uh, which by all accounts was an extremely uh, contentious decision. I had uh, heard anecdotally that there was a lot of back and forth 
uh, about the Best in Show. The first time Indoor has ever taken uh, Best in Show, um, which they've been doing that for a few years now. Uh, but we love to see it. You know, Fig Farms are crushing it out of the Bay Area. And seeing them take home Best in Show, I believe, was well-deserved and just shows that anybody in the market, indoor, outdoor, mixed light, anybody can take the top honors at the Emerald Cup as long as you're putting out great weed. I know uh, Jason and I talked a little bit about this, uh, saying that the qualitative and the quantitative uh, both factor in heavily when it comes to the Emerald Cup judging. And it just goes to show um, the integrity of the contest. They really want to make sure that the best of the best is put forth to the people. What was your favorite part of the uh, Emerald Cup this year, Michelle? Seeing everybody come together, you know, it's, it's dark times for a lot of folks and just seeing everyone happy and jubilant and excited, uh, seshing all night was just a lot of fun. Seeing Mila dance across the stage at almost 80 years old, uh, that was a trip for sure. <laughs> she had a great dress on too when she did that. Yeah, she looked fabulous. Yes. Fabulous. Do you, yeah. think that, do you think that um, we're going to continue going forward with the Emerald Cup despite all I mean, of the disarray in the state? Yeah, I mean, next year's the 20th anniversary. I know that, um, you know, they're having over 700 entries, I think, this year, and they just want to have more. I know Jason and I talked a bit about the personal use category. We want to see more personal use uh, and craft cultivators getting into this game uh, for sure and entering and, and getting a chance to shine on this big stage. If you grow super, super fire fire trees at your home you could definitely hit a first place emerald cup if what you do is super super fire are you giving yeah. out false hope yeah. to all these people no, i'm not i'm not i'm saying because in in correlation correlation that was one of the smallest categories um of as far as entries for us to choose from okay. and so what i'm saying is that if you really truly grow super super fire you have a very good chance of winning because of that there's a smaller entry pool in that category i could dig it so if, if that is you out there windowsill boof connoisseur <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> today jason beck believes in you i do i do you know, we, application we, all fee, off, we all started off as home growers before. Wait, wait, we, what's your fee? Your, what's your consult fee, Jason? My consult fee for what? If anybody wants to submit their uh, their their you know, their windowsill, booth it, depends, it depends on what I'm consulting on. But I normally start at like four twenty an hour, and I go up to about seven fifty depending on. What <laughs> Do you take IOUs <laughs> like you tried to give Gretchen? No, I'll take equity though. <laughs> that's what we call socialist equity so thank you all out there for joining us today for yet another episode of high nine news you can always catch us weekdays 9 a.m pacific and high noon on the east coast big shout out to our super fans showing love getting the comments projected live on the big screen also to the live audience members and online supporters catching us across all media platforms tuning in and giving us feedback on the daily headlines of chaos also known as the developing cannabis industry to our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over bringing us much needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. Our production team, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego, The Vortex, The 91 Club, and all of our sponsors helping us keep the lights on, keeping our AV struggles to a minimum. And of course, the lovely Jaja Simone holding things down for us every day over in Clubhouse. And all you haters out there, keep on hating. We're going to keep on loving. You got until Monday to think of something better to come at us in the comment section. I love you. <laughs> Always, Cannabis Sativa L, the reason the Hyatt 9 News team shows up every single day to read these headlines. Thank you. It is 
Friday, May 19th, 2023. The show is over and you've been blessed with today's top industry headlines. Hope it was enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until Monday. I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest dad on the street. Your daily reminder that when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. Omar Figueroa, what you got for us, man? You got the outro today, man. Everybody get super iry this weekend and enjoy the outdoors. Remember, carpe diem and carpe noctum. Seize the day and the night. Ooh, take it, take it, take it, take that, take that. Take it away.